The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of The Squunk in the Hag. Tonight, I know last week we started with a trigger warning. I'm going to just right off the bat start with it. Tonight deals with a cannibal. So does, does, doesn't our whole like show need a trigger warning at this point? Maybe we should just like record a blanket trigger warning and put it at the beginning of the episode. The following content has been r- rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Actually, I might just take that, <laughs> clip that, and pop it in at the beginning of every episode. Fair enough. Tonight's episode, I was actually really happy originally. So Chris and I plan out our dinner schedule over the weekend so that we know what to get at the grocery store and yada, yada, yada. And originally tonight was going to be spaghetti night. <laughs> Isn't that how it always goes? I know that's that's how it's been going for me. It's like, we'll do this. But then that's totally not what we have. Yeah. Well, instead, he made Zuppa Toscana in the crock pot. Have you ever had like it's it's um, a copycat of the one that you can get at uh, Olive Garden. I don't think I've ever had that one at Olive Garden. Oh, it's so good. So it has uh, spicy Italian sausage, and you can either use kale or spinach. I personally prefer spinach because I hate kale with the fire of a thousand suns. Write this down for future use. <laughs> uh, potatoes, uh, bacon crumbles, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, and then it's like a cream-based soup. So it's like nice and creamy. That's, if we like that, I like the, uh, the potato gnocchi soup. Oh my God, that stuff's amazing. That's what I usually get if I go to Olive Garden. I've I've found a copycat recipe and may or may not have made it. And you have not shared? I need to do that before I forget. I was I was testing it to make sure, you know, that it was it was good. Mm -hmm, I want to give you. Well, I sent you that copycat Isaac's pepper jack tomato. That's what we that was our soup last week because it's winter time. So it's like each week we make a soup like one week we made beef stew this week. Uh, we have Zupa, and last week was tomato, pepper jack, soup stuff, which is amazing with grilled cheese. Also, I would like to point out, I don't know if you noticed, but I think I said potato gnocchi soup. That's that's not that's not how that's not the the recipe. Okay. It's chicken and gnocchi. Chicken and gnocchi. Well, isn't gnocchi potato? It that that is the potato. <laughs> yeah, I was like, isn't that a, a potato based pasta? Kraken. It's. It is, and I don't know why my brain just defaults to putting potato instead of chicken at the beginning of that sentence, but here we are. I can't judge. the. Uh, I, I told you about this, but the other night I was like, what goes with cheese for like a snack? And I was like, cheese and cheddar. Yeah, cheese and cheddar. I mean, you can't go wrong with more cheese. Well, I think the word my brain was looking for was crackers. But but you see, that's the thing. Your brain didn't want to say crackers because then that would remind you of crack and then it's all downhill from there. You figured it out, my dude. You figured it out. I started researching this story and I had tons of notes, tons of information ready to go. And then I found one more link that added another level into it where they talked to neighbors and friends and stuff like that. And then I finished that one and then I found another story that added. Another, I was like, Damn it! <laughs> I thought I was done! How deep does this rabbit hole go? I thought I was done! And of course, I was running a little bit... I don't want to say I was running behind, because anyone who isn't aware, the way that we do our stories for the show is that we have a pool of just ideas. We have a notion, and we have 110 podcast ideas. We have 17 that we're actively working on researching, and then you know we kind of like narrow it down to ready to record. Okay, this one's been recorded, this one's been scheduled, etc. And we have 
you know, all these ideas. And sometimes you go, I know it's happened to me. It's happened to Allie. I think it's happened to you as well. Probably has happened to Ranger. Although I'm pretty sure Ranger's just magical and he doesn't have writer's block or <laughs> anything like that. I mean, that's the way I see it. But... Yeah, he's just magic. He's just perfect. So uh, he doesn't understand this this problem. But so we go and if you're researching a story and you kind of hit a block or you're not really sure where to go, you can just pick up another story because we don't record unless it's in the ready to record column. And we have a backlog. And the thing with me is when you get to a story that's as massive as like the MK Ultra stuff that we want to cover, it's like, where, where do I start and when do I stop? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Like, I I really like the way we have this whole thing set up, and I don't know if anybody cares about the behind the scenes. I'm not sure there are a few. I'm really proud of the way we have things set up. So, you know, I think it's really great because all of us have lives and responsibilities and things that take up our time. So we're not doing this full time. We're not sitting here eight to 12 hours a day working on this podcast. So we need something that's really flexible. And I love it because we... We constantly have content coming in. We constantly have stuff that we can dip into. So if I don't feel like researching for one week, I can pull a story that Allie did. You have tons of stuff from Ranger. Uh, and then the two of us can hop in and research things that you know we really want to get into. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it works and it makes it look and sound like we know what we're doing when really we have no clue what's going on. I still want to know who thought it was a good idea to give us a microphone. That's the dangerous thing about the internet. <laughs> There's no one to stop us. <laughs> it's true. Also, you know what else is amazing about the internet? This is just taking a complete 90 degree turn. I ordered a bunch of washi tape on stationary pal which is um it's that decorative like masking tape or whatever you use in like bullet journals and things so i ordered a bunch of that and in the package they sent me a free pen and it has pink flowers over it all over it and it writes it's like they knew you and it writes perfectly like it is this pen was made for me and they sent it to me and i'm wondering I know for a fact that they just like send random shit to people, but uh, in the package, I got a card and it's like a, a printed card. So they just take this postcard and put it in every package, but they write your name on it. So it says, Dear Melissa. Mm -hmm. And it's like they knew they were like, OK, so she bought six different boxes of different shades of pink washi tape. Let's send her the pink flower pen. I mean, that's 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 really good because that shows that they pay attention to what people order. Yeah, but I'm just so happy with this stupid free pen. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, hey, it's a free pen, and if it writes good, that's a bonus. Yeah. Well, I'm very particular about how my pens write and feel in my hand, and same with pencils. So, that's understandable. Yeah, it, it's for me writing is a very like personal thing, and. Chris is, I've told you this before, Chris loves to collect pencils. And, and I'm not talking just like... Mm -hmm, I have three of them. Yeah, I'm not talking about just like he found some random pencil on the ground. Like he purchases high quality pencils. And his favorite is uh, Musgrave Pencil Company down in Tennessee. Uh, today, I learned that... A pencil entrepreneur, if you will. Yes, he, he's, he's an aficionado of the pencil industry. Uh, but... I did not know that Shelbyville, Tennessee, because of the Musgrave Pencil Company, is actually known as the Pencil City. So anyway, he loves to get different pencils and he really loves Musgrave. So he's pretty much purchased me uh, not all of, but a large selection of their offerings. And one of them is uh, so they do all of their pencils they have a version with an eraser and without an eraser but there's so there's two versions of this pencil one with an eraser one without an eraser one's called the my pal and the other is called the cub and the reason i am obsessed with these pencils is normally like if you get just a pencil it's like that thinner size or you can get like those ones for kindergartners that's really really thick this is in between the two and I have noticed I like that like medium weight like all of my pens that I love all of my pencils that I love everything 
like that's the size that fits well into my hand. So I have I have bought two boxes, one of the cub and one of the my pal. Uh, so I never run out of good pencils. Not me over here with like a whole pencil case full of different types of pens and markers and. Dude, have you seen my desk? Okay, fair. <laughs> a pencil case? How cute. Fair. I have pencil racks. <laughs> I have pen and marker and pencil. Now, you just like get on my level with pencil cases. I have pencil racks. Well, I also, for anybody who isn't aware, I think I might have mentioned it before, but I like to do journaling, bullet journaling and those types of things. So I have tons of fine liners and brush pens and paint pens and all that kind of stuff. So... <laughs> I'm a little... I, I have gone a little overboard with some of the pencils and pens and things like that. So whenever I need new art supplies, I can just come see what you've got and just, like, slowly pocket some stuff along the way. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Oh, what's that over there? And while you're, <laughs> while you're looking at that and showing me something else, I'll just be pocketing whatever else I was looking at. Well, I mean, I have... I am one of these people... You know, my mom is a very creative person. So from small childhood, my mom tried to get each of us because I have a brother and a sister she tried to get all of us into creative things and my sister she dabbles but it's not like a huge passion for her like my my, my mom's obsessed my mom is like an insanely talented seamstress she can cross stitch and embroider and she knits and crochet like she does everything and write down Mo's mom for custom uh, fabric projects. Just like if I need something yeah. custom made yeah. involving fabric. She made a Halloween costume for a gecko. So she can do pretty much anything. Okay. I have several questions. Someone commissioned her to do it. Fair enough. The gecko is a fairy princess. Anyway. Wonderful. Yeah. And then my brother, my brother is very much like my father in loves cars and engines and grease and oil and stuff like that. So he obviously was not in the creative realm. And then she found me. Well, she found, she didn't find me. She had, <laughs> my mom knew where I was. And then she, me, <laughs> curled up in, in, in the trash pile out back, much like Bubba. <laughs> but no, then, I was asking for La Pupa. Then she had me, and from an early age, I have always been a very creative person, so she latched onto that and, you know, taught me how to do pretty much everything. Now, I don't enjoy doing everything in the craft world, but I do a lot of different things. I knit, I crochet, I cross-stitch, I embroider, I do beadwork, I do certain kinds of painting, I draw and journal, and I've scrapbooked, and, like, I've, I've done a lot of a lot, so I have a ton of supplies. So if you do need art supplies, I probably have what you're looking for. <laughs> I also have a power drill. Alright, let's put this to the test. The the brush pens that I like to draw and sketch with. Pentel brush pens. I do not have Pentel. I have Ohuhu. I have King Art, Tombow. So yes. Alright, fair enough. I don't have the right brand, but I have, and I also have ones with like the marker point and then some that have like the fine liner point, because you know how they're double-ended? Yeah. As you speak of cannibalizing my art supplies, mm -hmm. see what I did there? Nice, nice segue into, into the story. Very nice. Thank you. I uh, I worked really hard on that for a millisecond. Is that why you had to take a nap? You were thinking about that one? <laughs> that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I, I had to take a nap beforehand so I could be snarky. Fair enough. The year was 1961. President Dwight D. Eisenhower severed diplomatic and trade relations with Cuba and then JFK was sworn into his first term. The Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, I forgot to look up how to say his name, so I do apologize. Uh, he became the first human in outer space. He orbited once and then parachuted to the ground. And two of my favorite movies, Breakfast at Tiffany's and West Side Story, hit theaters that year. Give you a little, little idea of what 1961 was, was doing. They were, they were apparently doing things and stuff. 1961 existed. That was definitely a year. It was a year. Uh, I will also say this story takes place in Germany. So if I do mispronounce things, I also apologize. I have tried very hard to listen to the pronunciations in the documentaries and research, you know, Google them. But I'm... 
bad at English. I mean, same to be honest. Who who is good at English? Yeah, so I don't I don't really hold much hope for myself with German. But I mean, I did do the Russian chessboard killer story. You have the little thing because um, I'm not gonna say I know German, but. I have listened to a lot of a, German, a certain German metal band, and I have, may or may not have picked up how to pronounce a few words. I don't know if that's going to be helpful, but we'll 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 add it to our tool belt. So, outside of Rottenburg, Germany, is a village called Wustfeld, and on December first of nineteen sixty-one, Armin Meves was born. His childhood seems relatively normal at first. Um, his father was a policeman who saved up all of his money to buy a mansion for the family. It is a 40-room manor house in this small town. There, uh, I actually, in one of the stories or documentaries, I can't remember, there are only seven other houses in Wustfeld <laughs> and like this huge, huge ass mansion. So he um, sounds like a very busy little city. <laughs> well, it is a village. So Rottenburg is a town or a city or something like that. And then Wustfeld is kind of on the outskirts and it's just this tiny little village. So the house was for Armin's father, of course. Armin's mother, Voltrod, Voltrude. Voltron, yes. His mom was not Voltron. I mean, have you ever seen Voltron and his mom in the same room? Exactly. And two half-brothers. So it was, a, you know, a decent-sized family. However, behind closed doors, Voltrude was extremely manipulative, very possessive, and a super jealous wife. It is said that the only reason she got pregnant with Armin was to prevent his father from leaving. No, that's no, no, let's let's not do that. That's never that's never a good thing. I actually um someone that Chris used to work with, uh she had a daughter for the same reason and then she was she was raising a child she didn't want, so she was miserable. So that's a that's a learning point. <laughs> Maybe you should have a conversation together and make sure it's what you want before you bring an entire life into the world. Yeah, it's, maybe that's not something that you just decide one morning, you know, over coffee. In addition, she was constantly accusing him of cheating. They were always fighting. And some accounts say that some of these arguments escalated to the point of her threatening to kill him if he left. That's that's another big red flag right there. Yes, yes. So on the flip side, his father was apparently a very distant, rather stern. It There's no documentation, no record, no even whispers that he was abusive or cruel. He was just disinterested. He was, you know, I mean, thinking of how Armin came to be. You know, he probably wasn't expecting or wanting another kid. So he just wasn't really interested in Armin. But Armin did have his two brothers. And uh, he mentioned that, you know, they would ride horses and build tree houses and run around, uh, you know, just doing kid stuff. The three of them got along pretty well. They had a lot of fun. And he said he was happy. He he loved he loved his his early childhood. But in 1969, when Armin was just eight, his father left and his two half brothers were quite a bit older and they followed suit soon. You know, just not to be cruel, not to just but they grew up and left. So at that point, Armin described, as he, in his words, he was very lonesome after that. He was just kind of lost. He didn't really have anybody. There was an interview with a neighbor that said his mother actually loved him. And she said 
she possibly loved him too much. She had this dream of a house full of children and grandchildren, and she went to extremes. So instead of just being very loving, she was possessive and she always had she had to know where he was she had to go with him everywhere he didn't leave the house by himself and he kind of isolated himself and ended up just being at home with his mom all the time uh some reports actually said that she kind of treated him like a servant as well and as many stories that we've heard before um families like this the child that's growing up like this usually grows up not all the time but a few times grows up to do bad things We've talked about this before of uh, Jim Fallon's uh, look into the genetic and physiological side of psychopaths. And I now Armin, I will say, has never been classified as a psychopath, but a lot of those principles hold true for many criminals in that if you have certain genetic markers, certain chromosomes, certain chemical compositions in your body, and then you mix it with either a head injury, abuse, neglect, any of those things, you're just making a cocktail for the possibility of criminal behavior. So that's the overly snooty way of saying what you just said that's close enough though see when you put it like that then that's like you can word it this way if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about or you can word it this way if you want to just get right to the point yeah I felt like I was adding something to the conversation and then in retrospect I'm like it's just exactly what Cracker said I have a I have a magical way of just you know making things as basic as possible it's called being blunt <laughs> mm-hmm let me explain rocket science to you all. You put the magic space fuel into the into the big shiny metal tube. Astronaut goes into the shiny metal tube. Big explosion happens. You now have space. I don't know where I was going with that, but... I don't know either. That one came out of left field, and everyone at NASA is crying. Good. <laughs> I'll do it again. Apparently, that's how you make space. Apparently, you can make space. I, that, it's a thing now. You can make space? Did you not hear me just say explosion happens and then you have space? Apparently, the rocket explodes and it just creates space. That's not what I was trying to say, but that's what came out. Da, 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 da. I present you space. I have no idea. Again, who gave us microphones? Armin loved to read. So he would escape his loneliness, his seclusion through books and his imagination. And it was through these stories that he got his first exposure to the concept of cannibalism. Some of his favorites were Hansel and Gretel and Robinson Crusoe. So at age 12, he started to develop imaginary friends and fantasies around cannibalism. He even imagined a little brother named Frankie. With Frankie, he would tell him the stuff that he couldn't talk about with his mom. Really talked about cannibalism with Frankie because I'm pretty sure any mother would be horrified if their child came to them and mentioned they wanted to eat other people. But I feel if he had talked to somebody, maybe he could have gotten help. Maybe, possibly. But um, we're already seeing bad signs here because like, imaginary friends are one thing. But I think if all of your like if your kid's outside playing and suddenly he starts eating his imaginary friend, I think we have a problem. Well, he would fantasize about eating them so they could never leave him. First of all, I'm, not, I'm never making fun of the situation or anything, but so they would never leave him to. Does he not know that, like, food goes in, it also comes back out at some point, and then you kind of leave it? I mean, if you're going to eat an imaginary friend, do you imaginary poop? That's a good question. But then, if your imaginary friend is just constantly inside of you, then that raises the question, isn't that just possession? Or indigestion. Upset stomach diarrhea. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored by Pepto. <laughs> I don't know why that song gets my head. Well, I know why. It's very catchy. It gets in my head and it doesn't leave it. I'm just sitting here singing the, the poop song. Ah, yes, the poop song. So psychological examination. <laughs> he 
he very obviously had abandonment issues from when his father and brothers left him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to get that out while it was still in my brain before it left again. And I realized the very poor timing yeah. of bringing that up as we talked about the pimp it's song. It's fine. It'll be fine. This is fine. I highly doubt anybody turns to us for, like, academia or anything even remotely serious. <laughs> no. I mean, we we do look up facts. We don't just make up things. So, I mean, like, there are facts in here. You just have to get through the conversation of how doors work and then rocket rockets exploding <laughs> and creating space, apparently, and the Pepto-Bismol commercial somewhere thrown around in here. If you can sift through that, you, like, the story's there. The information is there. I was talking to Chris about this yesterday, actually. When I wanted to start the podcast, because I approached you about the podcast, and I was like, Look, wouldn't this be great? I actually wanted to be like a serious amateur investigative journalist. I mean, and th- th- this is what has come from that. <laughs> I mean, it's a start. True, true. And like when it comes to the research and the facts and the information, I am very serious about it. And I know we've talked about this many times. We we are silly because the stories are so heavy. And I know both of us cope with laughter and mm-hmm. jokes and stuff like that. No, not at all. Me? No, never. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare. Oh, no. no. Yeah. Poop song aside, psychological examination equals abandonment issues. He, like I said, was very isolated at home, and he also used these imaginary friends as a replacement for social interaction. As I had said, even when he left his house, his mother assisted on accompanying him. Even when he was, you know, a teenager and a young adult and then into his 20s, like he was not allowed to leave the house alone. Uh, Teens from the neighborhood Obviously, they're no longer teens, but they were interviewed in the one documentary. And they said that, you know, they would go out to dance clubs and parties and they would invite him. They'd be like, hey, you coming? And he just never went with because he couldn't. His his mom either had to go with and that would be awkward. Just a little bit. Yeah. Or he wasn't allowed. Now, he did develop normal crushes. And things like that for women. But when it came to his end goal, it was about consumption rather than a normal relationship. So at the beginning, it was like, oh, she's so pretty. Oh, my goodness. And then it was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to eat that. And not in like the... Not in that way. Yeah, not in the naughty way, like the um, fire up the Barbie kind of way. I, I again, I, I want to add my comments into this, and I'm going to say multiple times, I am in no way making fun of the victims or the story in any way. But basically, it went from, oh, she's kind of cute, to I wonder what kind of barbecue sauce I would go with. Well, I don't know. So he is German. I'm not sure how popular barbecue sauce is in Germany. I'm going to stop before I offend a bunch of people. <laughs> Let's continue. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just thinking about like uh, French cooking is very common and it's a lot of butter and garlic and uh, spices and things like that. Yeah, no, that's why I was going to I was like. I was like, I'm going to stop because like my brain's going to end up finding some sort of stereotypically German food to pair this with and replace barbecue sauce with this. And let's not offend all of Germany. Yeah, it's probably good to not offend an entire culture. But what I'm saying is it's not even Germany, like in Europe in general. I'm not sure how popular American barbecue sauce is. Like, I, I... Probably not, which is why my brain, again, just immediately went to... Hey, German food, let's pick something here. Well, I will tell you my favorite German food is the pretzel. I mean, yes. I love pretzels. Oh, pretzels are so good. Soft pretzels. At the... It's a lot of sporting events. I don't know if it's a local company that does it for all of the Reading arenas. 
Um, but like when we go to the Royals and the Phillies and all that stuff. And I think even when we go down to like Philadelphia, they have these, it's about maybe an 18 inch long twisted pretzel stick, soft pretzel. And you just get it with like a, they just use like a piece of vellum and they wrap it and they hand it to you and you have this giant pretzel stick. And I am obsessed with them. They're so good. I haven't tried them, but uh, there, there's a place not too far from me. Like, literally, I could walk to it. And uh, I don't know. They were doing it a limited time, I think. So I don't think they have them anymore. But it was basically a pretzel. And they brought it out to you on a, on a hook. It, yes. It, it, was a, it almost looked like one of those metal paper, paper towel holders with a hook on the end. Yeah, they serve them like that up here, too. That pretzel was bigger than my head. Yeah. That's actually common around here. And then you get like cheese, uh, like a bowl of cheese and a bowl of honey mustard. You had me a bowl of cheese. Yeah. So I will say um, in this area in Pennsylvania, um, like the state itself, it, pretzels, I believe when they were like the pretzels themselves did not immigrate. But when <laughs> when a lot of the German culture, because like we have a very large Pennsylvania Dutch culture, which is Germans that came to Pennsylvania and pretzels are like a, a very rooted, rooted thing in Pennsylvania. Like we love pretzels and, you know, they kind of started here and sort of spread throughout the country. So uh, if you want a good pretzel, you come to Pennsylvania. When he would meet girls you know, at school or if he was able to go to social events uh, at any time and he would bring a girl home to his mom to meet her. She would send them away because she didn't think they were good enough. And she wanted every girl that he dated to be the quote unquote perfect daughter in law. But her ideal woman probably didn't exist because nobody is perfect. So... Yeah, so he uh, stayed very isolated, very lonely. But in 1980, when he was 19 years old, he joined the army. Now, he was stationed very close to home, so he still lived with his mother. But he did say that military life was very comfortable and normal for him. He really enjoyed the structure. He loved, you know, every day he would leave at this time and go there and then he'd do this and then he would do this and he would do that. Uh, So that lifestyle really, really worked for him. While he was enlisted, the cannibalistic fantasies actually faded away. They were, they never, I believe, never completely went away, but they were no longer a focus of his because he was no longer so isolated and lonely. He would see other people at the base. He would, he made some like army buddies, not real close friendships because he has always struggled with relationships but he you know he had some buddies and stuff like that he would talk to different people all the time but people started to question his sexuality and he would tell them you know he met and dated lots of girls he had a fiance over in castle which is another uh local town but No one ever saw him with a girl. No one ever met the fiance. And it turned out that she was made up. But one time he did ask one of his army friends if they thought he was gay. And they were like, you have to figure that out on your own. Like someone can't tell you if you are or are not. That's something. That's not exactly how that works. Yeah, you have to you have to figure that out yourself. It did turn out that he is either gay or bisexual, but he is attracted to men. Uh, So he did figure that out while he was in the army. He also found another love. There was a group of enlisted army members who had a sailing group. And they would take the boats out. They would go on these trips for a few days, you know, maybe a weekend, maybe a week. And he he joined the group. He fell in love with the boats. He fell in love with the freedom to go. And he went on a couple boating trips with them. They they said when he was on the boat, he always had a camera with him. He was always filming or taking pictures and he was obsessed with the freedom of the sea. The first trip that he went on, 
he lied to his mom and said that he had a week of training for the army that he had to go to. And instead he went on this trip. But then after that, he actually asked her, hey, can I go on a sailing trip? And it it's kind of awkward, but she's like, well, I have to meet all the people you're going with. So he had to invite everybody that was going to be on the boat over to his house and they had to meet his mom and she interviewed them and like all this crazy stuff. But he was allowed to go. He he was allowed to go on another trip. And at this point, did did his mom have to interview like the, the staff at the base he was going to be stationed at before he was allowed to enlist? Did she have to? In- like, normally, the army recruiter interviews you. Did his mom interview the recruiter? <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but uh, they said that he absolutely loved sailing. He always had, you know, like I said, they always had the camera in his hand, always had a smile on his face. Uh, you know, he would he would crack jokes and have a good time, and you know that was something that he really clung to. But. Also, while in the army, he started drinking heavily and he ended up having two drunk driving accidents. Nothing fatal, but, you know, that's not good. And he did end up being discharged for the alcohol abuse. And he in total served 12 years in the army. So that would bring him to age 31 when he was uh, discharged. And then in September of 1999, his mother passed away from a a prolonged illness. So she had been bedridden and then finally passed away. And the neighbors said that when she died, he grieved very normally. He was sad and he cried and he leaned on the neighbors for support. They would bring him food. They helped him set up for the wake. Uh, And then he would in return Uh, he became kind of involved in the neighborhood. He would help people work on their cars and their computers. And, you know, he kind of leaned on their support because now he was completely alone. And that had to be a big shock for him, too, having to, you know, have everything go through his mom for approval. And then suddenly he doesn't have that anymore. He can do whatever he wants, pretty much. Exactly, exactly. And I believe he didn't, quite know what to do he he was confused and lost and it's kind of like if you leave a child on their own you know they're they're not really sure what they're doing um and just like you have given me this power i don't know what to do with it yeah it's like how do i eat what do i what do i do yeah, so it was it was hard on him. It was very hard on him. But he inherited the house and the estate. He started working as a computer technician, but he did stay fairly isolated. So he he didn't go out much, but they did say that he would often visit a local brothel called the Blue Moon. But instead of partaking in the girls, he usually just ended up passing out at the bar. I thought you were going to say it had like a buffet and instead of partaking of the ladies, he partook of the food. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't mentioned, but he drank a lot. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. So now that he was no longer in the army and he didn't have that rigid structure and his mother was gone the cannibalistic fantasies started coming back and he turned first to just I guess normal internet pornography but then he started finding more and more extreme fetishes and this is when he discovered a website called the cannibal cafe sounds like a lovely place 
they're just swapping recipes, right? Uh, no. But I will say it is in one of the internet archives. Obviously not functional, but you can go and kind of look at it looks like it was a GeoCities website and it is incredibly ugly. It looks like a very typical 1990s, early 2000s website. But on this site, there were ads of people wanting to eat someone, and there were also ads of people wanting to be eaten. There were some that were so specific, such as someone wanted to be barbecued like a chicken. Uh, um, oh, okay. Yeah. So some of them were extraordinarily graphic, and he was like, I found my people. Much like me whenever I find a new meme website. It's it's like when you find you find a community of like-minded people. Unfortunately, these like-minded people um, have a very taboo in- interest. For me, the place of like-minded people is like the Facebook group that was recommended to me not too long ago. It was the, literally the title of it was something along the lines of... Uh, the group where we all pretend to work at Domino's. <laughs> I haven't joined. I don't know what's in there because it's a private group, but I imagine it's literally just people talking like they're trying to order in- ingredients at Domino's. Pretending. I found my people. You found your people. So on the Cannibal Cafe, Mavis used the alias Frankie, which was his imaginary little brother. And he posted... They called them ads, but... When we think of ads, it's like you pay for it. This is more like a forum post. But he did place a post saying, I'm looking for a young, well-built male aged 18 to 30 to be slaughtered and consumed. That's just a normal Craigslist ad. (laughs) I mean, you're not completely wrong. So he received a ton of replies but most of them just wanted to role play. A lot of people on the site were just into the concepts of cannibalism, but they didn't actually want to be eaten. They did not actually want to eat. Well, they wanted to eat another person, but they... Like, they, they had they had the fetish, but they didn't want to act on it, pretty much. Yes. Thank you. That's worded much better than whatever garbage was coming out of my mouth. I have my moments. <laughs> Gold star to Krakow. Uh So... He got tons of non-serious replies, but he did get one serious response from a nan- from a man named Borg Jose. Now, I'm not sure because this is a German person. Maybe Jose is not how you would say it. It is J-O-S-E. It could maybe be Jos because it, it, he is a he is a German man. So I apologize if I messed that up really bad. But they exchanged messages back and forth, and Borg visited Armin's home as per their agreement. Mavis tied him up and was getting ready to kill him when Borg got cold feet and backed out. And Armin was incredibly disappointed, but understanding. He untied him and let him go. And he has said many times he would never kill someone without consent in a way that's a good thing but yeah well this this whole story has a lot of legal and moral conundrums of how like yes we see it as wrong but how wrong is it because he he has never just gone out there and killed an unwilling victim he has never just murdered for the sake of murder you know it's it's to him and i'm not saying this is the same thing at all but to him it's just like slaughtering an animal for the meat yeah but also that guy that that he met up with that backed out he was very trusting like you met up with a man to be eaten by said man he has you tied up you can't go anywhere and you just hope that you tell him you're backing out and don't want to do it anymore and he's going to listen. Yeah, uh, it, it is It is possible that 
he could have just gone through with the murder and everything like that. And then it would be a really, really sad story. I mean, it's good that he did listen. Yeah, he went there with every intention of dying and being eaten. But it's just, like I said, last second, he got cold feet. I wonder where he's at now. I don't know. I did not look into that. But like I said, Mavis said the person had to be willing and consent to death. So at this point, Mavis returned to the Cannibal Cafe and once again posted as Frankie. At this point, he found a post from Baron Baron Brandis under the alias Cater99, who was looking for someone to eat him alive. And I am going to struggle with his name. Baron Jorgen Brandis was a 43-year-old bisexual male from Berlin. He had been in a long-term relationship with a woman named Bettina, but she ended the relationship when she discovered he was also interested in men. And secretly, Brandis had a desire to be eaten alive. And he was obsessed with sexual mutilation. When he turned 40, he became obsessed with working out in order to maintain a nice physique as he aged. His co-workers said he was a nice, super fun guy to work with, but in the years closer to everything that happened here, his personality slowly started turning more negative and he started doing more outlandish things. Uh, you know, he went parachuting and doing slightly more daring stuff. Uh, I don't there. I didn't see if there was any psychological reasoning for this uh you know if anybody has ever determined why he started changing like that but you know he he his personality did change a bit towards towards this time brandis and mavis corresponded for over a month exchanging tons and tons of messages uh they would talk about the best ways to kill someone how to consume and how to dispose of the body they also agreed on both sides that they were going to film the entire event. This is this is a, the cursed movie that I don't want to see. I will tell you right now, you cannot see this one either. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So Mavis had again been very, very clear that the victim had to consent to being killed. And to him... The killing was not part of the fantasy. It was not, you know, a lot of sexual predators. The killing is part of the high. It is part of the fantasy. It is something that arouses them. For him, it was not. He did not like it. They actually, obviously, I have not seen, but they said he hesitated to kill he you know was he was not comfortable with doing this but it was a means to the end like he could not consume a person without having to kill them so once they settled on a plan he sold all of his belongings he wiped his hard drive he bought a one-way train ticket to rottenberg which is the town that mavis lived outside of and mavis picked him up at the train station on the way home, they stopped at a pharmacy for painkillers and sleeping pills as well. When they arrived, like I said, everything was videotaped. And that videotape, uh, it was part of the trial, of course. But uh, there is a very... And is probably still heavily locked away. Oh, it is. The police, police are like, absolutely not. This cannot get out. But... Uh, that means there's very clear documentation of what happens. There are uh, many accounts from, I know one of the documentaries I watched, his lawyer walked through the house room from room and said, this happened here, this happened here, this happened there. This is what happened here. Uh, so it's usually when you have a crime, even if the assailant you know, is arrested and in prison and everything like that, you never get a clear picture of what happened. Whereas this one, 
and oddly enough ties into last week accidentally, uh, you know exactly what happened because there is video evidence of it. Yeah. And that's kind of a good thing is because then it's like there's no question about what happened and who did what and how they did it because it's there's a video. Exactly. Exactly. So once they arrived to the house, Brandis went into the living room and removed all of his clothes and told Mavis to take a look and enjoy his dinner. Not concerned by that at all. But he had no no false expectations. Like, he knew exactly what he was getting into and exactly what was going to happen. Now, during their correspondence, Brandis had some very clear wishes. And I will say you may sit very uncomfortably through this part. Um, I know it freaks me out and I am a girl, but one of his wishes was he wanted to have Mavis bite off his penis while he was still alive and conscious. Oh, thanks. I'm going to shut myself the door. He, he took a bunch of the medications with alcohol to help with the pain, but... The human teeth are not made to go through flesh like that. Like, we are omnivores. So we have both the carnivorous teeth as well as the herbivorous. Okay. But, you know, we have teeth that are made to both bite and tear as well as grind and chew. So when you have a an animal who's trying to bite and tear flesh, they are going to have very different teeth. Like, look at a cat or a dog. They have very different teeth that are specialized for that. Well, Mavis couldn't get through all of that meat. So, he eventually needed to use a knife. It gets worse and worse. Wonderful. Oh, just wait. Oh, no. Brandis said that he only felt pain for a short time and this was actually disappointing to him he wanted to feel more pain his idea of the ultimate high was one to be eaten alive and two to experience pain so bad that it would kill him i uh, um, uh why i don't or why i that's that's that was his fantasy the second part of the request is that they would eat his penis together. Mavis cut it in half. He blanched it, seasoned it, and lightly fried it, and then served it to both of them. So you have to think Brandis is currently bleeding profusely, but they sat down to eat together. And unfortunately, both were highly disappointed because the meat was chewy and inedible. So his dream was shattered because he was unable to eat his own junk. It's an odd thing to be disappointed about, but fair enough. So at this point, Brandis is bleeding heavily. So Mavis took him into the bathroom and drew him a hot bath because he said he was cold, which is very common when you are bleeding profusely. He then later tried to get out of the bath on his own, but passed out. So Mavis carried him to a bed in a room that he had set up for this event, which he called the slaughter room. He laid Brandis out on the bed and then sat nearby and watched over him as he drifted in and out. This one I find very odd, but while waiting, and this was captured on the videotape, Mavis read a Star Trek book. What are the odds? It's like, I cannot imagine sitting in a room with someone laying on a bed bleeding to death and you just read a book. I mean, after what they just did, uh, like that's, yeah, yeah that does surprise yeah. me. So after about three hours of watching him slowly bleed to death and, you know, he would be drifting in and out and he stopped drifting in. So he was just lying there unconscious, uh, shallow breathing, etc. Mavis took the knife and slit Brandis's throat so he was no longer suffering. 
once Brandis was dead, Mavis removed the head and hung the body from a meat hook. He removed the organs and cut the body in half. He then placed both halves into the bathtub and carefully washed the entire body before butchering and portioning the meat. He then stored the bags of meat. Uh, obviously, you know, they were like in Ziplocs and, you know, cling wrap and all that kind of stuff. But he stored them in a false bottom of a chest freezer. And apparently he had them stored with frozen pizzas. That's a good combo. All of the bones were buried in the garden, so he kept them nearby. And I did not see how he treated everything. Um, you know, was it like a grave where it was, you know, very gently and carefully placed? Or was it just like, dig a hole and throw a bone over there? It's fine. So whenever Mavis would consume this meat... He would use only his finest heirloom china. Um, all of them were antiques passed down through the family. He would light candles. And then alongside the main course, he would make princess potatoes and Brussels sprouts, as well as serving a fine red wine with the meal. I've got to look up princess potatoes now because that's something I've never heard of before. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that either. It's, it's basically, from what I can tell, it's like really fancy mashed potatoes that they put into a piping bag and swirl it onto the plate. Yeah, and then it looks like they might crisp it. Like, it looks like it's browned. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. This was a very special meal to him. He, the, it was not just, oh, I'm going to eat a burger. Like, this was something that he, he honored Brandis. So, yes, this is very wrong, but at, at least he had a little bit of reverence in it, I guess, versus just treating him like an animal or just throwing him away. But yes, it is still horrible. And I... That's, that's the appropriate reaction to this whole story. So before finishing all of the meat of his first victim, Mavis began looking on the Cannibal Cafe's site again. And this time, he thought it would be helpful to add legitimacy to his posts by mentioning his experience in killing and butchering a human body, as well as his knowledge of how to cook it. Another user read the posts and got a very different feeling from the posts than the usual role play posts that were on the site so they were like I think this dude actually killed and ate someone I'm gonna call the cops he's, he's a little too accurate here yeah and yeah like, this man's over here providing recipes oh god so on December 10th of 2002 police raided Mavis's estate and they found the false bottom in the freezer they found the unmarked bags of meat. So they asked him what it was. And he said, it's wild pork from a boar that I shot. It's a little suspicious, but all right. One of the police women was like, I cook a lot at home. That is not pork. That is definitely not pork, wild or otherwise. At the time of his arrest, they, you know, they obviously had known... Brandis's size, weight, etc. He had eaten 44 pounds or 20 kilograms of flesh when he was caught. At his pretrial hearing, Mavis stated, I always had the fantasy and in the end I fulfilled it. He has never denied what he did, but he hasn't shown traditional remorse. He does know what he did is considered wrong. He has apologized for what he has done. But to him, it doesn't feel wrong. It never felt wrong. It, you know, he, he, there's some disconnect. And psychologists have actually compared him to Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, classifying both men as sexual cannibals. But not mentally ill. They have a point. So, yeah, the only thing is that 
the only difference is Mavis needed to have a consenting victim. Yeah. That is that is kind of the only difference. And he also didn't experiment on the bodies. But um, they're both pretty close. Yeah. He also wasn't a serial killer. He only killed one person. But yes, they in terms of psychology and analyzing both men, very, very similar. So to Mavis, the most intimate act possible in life is to consume another person. After ingesting the meat from Brandis's body, Mavis said that he gained skills and proficiencies without trying or knowing how. Uh, an example that he gave is that Brandis was incredibly well-spoken with English. He spoke clearly, his word, like it wasn't broken, he wasn't misusing words, etc. Whereas Mavis spoke kind of broken English. But then after he started to ingest the meat, he said his English improved and now he speaks English very well. And he also has said that since then, he is always with me. He said that he feels parts of Brandis's soul within his body. A little concerning. Additionally, this case presented, because we've already talked about some of the moral dilemmas of, you know, you had a consenting victim. So is this... Is this as bad as killing a non-consent, you know, et cetera, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But the biggest legal dilemma is that cannibalism itself is not illegal in Germany. So instead, he was charged with murder for the purpose of sexual gratification and disturbing the peace of the dead. Now, this is where that second dilemma comes in. The defense argued Brandis gave full consent with video evidence of his statement. He he wanted that. So, yeah. So they said it shouldn't be considered murder, but rather it should be classified as killing on demand or what is known as euthanasia. But this request was not accepted by the court. I mean, at that point, there's another argument that you could make that um, he wanted to be eaten but they kind of stopped him before he could finish what he had left in his freezer. So technically the police were disturbing the peace of the dead. I never even thought of that. But I mean, yeah. Oh, because um, he would have been at peace knowing that he he was eaten because that's, again, what he wanted. Yeah. And if you prevent that, you're you're preventing the peace of the dead. You know, I never looked at it that way, but... Now, that's just one more card. My brain just immediately went to that, and then it's just like, what What if he countersues and, like, is the police and the judge thrown in jail? During the trial, the entire video of that night was played for the jury. And I don't think this is going to be surprising to anyone, but every single jury member required extensive therapy and mental health care after the trial. Not surprised. The first trial ended with a manslaughter conviction in 2004, which had an eight and a half year sentence. In 2006, prosecutors appealed for a retrial, questioning if Brandis had the legal right to consent to his death. And I don't remember when exactly all the Dr. Kevorkian stuff happened, but I think it might have been around this same time, which kind of questions some of the others, some of the same concepts of do you legally have the right to consent to having someone else take your life? And during the second trial, one of Mavis's psychologists testified and said that he still had the cannibalistic fantasies and that if released, he would most likely reoffend. So this trial ended in a murder conviction with a life sentence. Now, since being incarcerated, Mavis has helped the authorities. They have a cold case that included two brutal mutilations with a suspected cannibalistic angle. One was in 1998 and one was in 2000. So he has worked with authorities to analyze some of the aspects of the cannibalism and, you know, the, the, the murders, but both are thought to be the same offender. To my knowledge, this person has not been caught, 
but he has done everything he could to help the police with it. And another thing that I have heard, and I'm not sure how valid it is, but it is said that while in prison, he has converted to be a vegetarian. Interesting. Yes, but he is still serving his life sentence. And it, like I said, it's one of those ones where we know it's wrong to take a life. We know that it is considered wrong to eat another human being. However, how how legally wrong is this when it was two consenting adults doing consenting adult stuff? Uh, so this is what consenting adult stuff is. Fair enough. Yes. Yes, we baby cracko. This is consenting adult stuff. But... You know, it's one of those things where you go back and forth because, you know, our gut reaction. On one hand, it's murder and cannibalism. On the other hand, they both exactly, agree. Exactly. We, we, we know it's bad. We know you shouldn't do these things. But yeah, like, this is two adults doing something in private that they both agreed and consented to. So it's that gut reaction of this is wrong versus I mean is like like it's it's just it's one of those things that I think a lot of people still go back and forth on and it's really hard to come up with a decision you know yeah, that's one of those things where it's just like you would almost have to just look at the laws of where it took place at and see if you can pick and choose anything that you can pin on him for that but like that's just kind of a stretch to do that but that's my story Cracko wonderful very good story not not good in, in terms of what happened but the story was good funny enough I had actually because and it's it's kind of weird well no it, it not kind of it, it is weird um this story a lot of bands ran with the story and made songs out of it so like it's not the first this isn't brand new to me like i have briefly heard it but not as in in not there's some things that i haven't heard of that you brought up but there are a lot of bands there have been a lot of books either inspired by or kind of telling the story with like you know slight embellishments and different characters and stuff like that um there have been movies about this and i know it's, it's just like I, I get it's I get it's an interesting story, but why yeah. though? Well, I do know there are um, a lot of like crime shows reference this as either inspire like Criminal Minds and Law and Order and that kind of stuff. So they uh, pull from the story as inspiration, which for those it makes more sense to me than like a rock band being like, yeah, let's write a song about a cannibal. I mean, if that's their whole theme is to just be like, let's let's shock as many people as we can just for the sake of shocking people, then it's a little different, but it's still kind of messed up. So that is all for this week's story, but we do have some exciting news that in our next episode, we are going to have a special guest, and I'm really excited about this. Wonderful. Someone else to to uh, experience Cracko. A.K.A. another person that you're going to torture with your presence? Yes, because that's just how that happens. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Cracko, you ready? Okay, bye.